0: Hey guys, before we launch into today's episode, I wanna give you a heads up on the audio quality. This episode was filmed remotely on location in Austin, Texas. So we are outside the studio without our usual high-end equipment. Unfortunately, the sound is subpar and it will not normally meet my standards from an audio quality standpoint. But having said that, my guest and her story is way too good to miss. So please excuse the subpar audio And with that, I hope you enjoy the episode, because it's a good one.
1: Welcome to Humanity Unlocked, where we know that listening to someone's story with an intent to gain insight is an important key in unlocking each person's humanity. Your host, Kimberly, is known for her profound curiosity in human behavior, giving her a long-standing reputation for being a deeply engaged and exceptional listener. Each one of us has a unique origin story that helps to explain the unfolding of the path we've traveled. When the story gets told, it provides a glimpse into the context and nuances that we, the listeners, may have otherwise never considered. Join Kimberly as she embarks on the journey of a lifetime to unlock and reveal the humanity of every person she meets. Here's Kimberly.
0: Hey, you guys, welcome back to Humanity Unlocked. It is me, your host, Kimberly Daya, and today I am coming to you from Austin, Texas, where we are celebrating my son Jordan's 21st birthday, which has been so much fun, but what's made it even better is the fact that I am getting ready to record an episode remotely. My husband's cousin, Jamana Rafi, lives nearby, and she is my guest today. I cannot tell you how absolutely elated I was to hear that she was interested in coming on to tell her story. One of the greatest things about podcasting is that while I prefer to be in the studio, you really only need a microphone and a laptop, and you better believe I wasn't going to miss an opportunity to record with today's special, special guest. Jamana's story is a different one. It is surprising, and it is heartbreaking, and yet it's also strangely uplifting, but more than anything else. The way I think I would describe it best can easily be summed up in two words, thought-provoking. In 2002, Jamana was 24 years old serving active duty in the United States Air Force when she gave birth to her first child. After receiving orders to deploy to South Korea when her son was just a baby, she faced the painful reality of leaving him for an entire year to serve her country. With a 13-hour time difference and very few updates from back home, her marriage to her son's father began unraveling at the seams. Upon her return one year later, an agreement to divorce and share custody soon shifted to the realization that her child's father was the primary custodian of their son. Her world was turned upside down once again when she received orders to move from a base in Mississippi to one in South Carolina. The parental rights she assumed were equally hers had been compromised by a legal technicality that was established by default without her knowledge while she was away serving her country. Despite her best efforts, this technicality was later proved impossible to reverse, undo, or amend due to the way the system is set up. When a mother isn't the primary custodian of her child, there is an assumption that she must have done something wrong to, quote unquote, lose custody. In Jamana's case, her crime, to put it simply, was answering the call to serve her country. With this job comes tremendous honor and also tremendous sacrifice. But never did she anticipate having that sacrifice leveraged against her in a manner that would compromise her physical presence as a mother. When a single father without primary custody is deployed, we don't tend to react negatively. We see this as both honorable and heroic. And it is, but when it is a mother, we question it, regardless of the fact that it wasn't her preference and regardless of the fact that she answered the call and call after call after call that would come later to serve her country. For 18 years, the questions, judgments, and assumptions lauded against her about what kind of mother she must be to not have primary custody of her child never ended. I am so happy Jamana is with us today to talk about this. I have made it my mission with this podcast to dispel stereotypes, to clarify misunderstandings, and to diminish stigmatized issues by putting in the effort to understand them better, which is what I intend for all of us today. So with that context, and without further ado, I want to welcome our dear cousin to the podcast, Jamana. Thank you so much, Jamana, for being here to tell your story.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Sorry about the long
0: intro. (laughs) I just wanted to get it all in there and out on the table. So we have a good jumping off point. And we're going to start with just a little bit of background on you. You and Mark, my husband, most of the listeners know him. You guys are first cousins. You were born two weeks apart. Your mom and his mom are sisters, very close sisters. And just for our listeners, just think twins because that's how I've described them. Um, They don't necessarily look alike, but they are very, very close sisters. And although they live on separate sides of the country, don't they pretty much talk every day?
1: Yes, they do. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. So we know a lot about Jamana. We hear a lot about her through uh, Mark's mom, but we don't see her very often. So it's an honor to sit with her today. Um, You grew up in Louisiana with your parents and your older sister. And after high school, you enlisted in the United States Air Force. Um, Tell us a little bit about that. What made you decide to join the military?
1: Well, at the time, my parents could not afford college, and I knew that I could get my education through the military. But more than that, I wanted to do something that was bigger than me and bigger than what was going on in my town. And I thought that the military would be a great way for me to give back and also be involved in something larger than life. Right. Okay.
0: And so you were 18? I was 19. 19. Okay. Yep. Um, going back to when you were about 21 to 22, you were stationed at an Air Force based in New Jersey, living in the dorms, and that's where you met your son's father, who was also enlisted. Um, after about six months of dating came the idea to get married. Take us back to, if you will, um, that first year or two together. How did the relationship start and um, how did it evolve after that period?
1: So the relationship started by us living in the dorms together. We were kind of besties in the same circle of friends, always hanging out and partying together in the dorms. And we grew grew close friends. Um, We developed a really great friendship. He actually deployed for a couple of months and we were sending him care packages from the dorms and staying in touch. Um, once he came back, we started a relationship and found out that, hey, if we got married, we could live off base mm-hmm. and get out of the dorms. So after only six months of dating, we decided to get married. Okay. Right away, we moved into base housing. We had our own home instead of living in the dorms. And um, the party scene kind of followed us, sadly. Right. I thought that... Um, we would have, you know, be a little bit more mature situation now that we're married, kind of take it to the next level. Um, but it, it, it did not, that did not happen.
0: So you were, both of you were 22 when you got married? Uh,
1: 20, tw- yeah. 22. Young. Young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Absolutely.
0: Okay. Um, and how long had you been dating? Only six months. Oh man.
1: Just curious, was your family supportive? Neither of our families were supportive, actually. So there was red flags all over this relationship oh from goodness. the beginning. And my parents felt like we didn't know each other very well and we hadn't spent enough time together. Uh-huh. And his family was, I think it was a culture thing, but they were just not accepting that both of my parents were foreign. My name was weird to them. They didn't <sighs> understand why we were dating, or why would we be getting married already? Um, so he was from where? The mid-
0: Midwest? Yes, Ohio. Okay. All right, um, and would you consider? This is not part of my outline, but I'm just curious. Um, and I will try not to do this. I tend to get off topic. Um, how? would you consider yourself? Was this a marriage of like? Were you really in love, or did you feel very in love, or was it like this is a great idea? We could get base housing. So what was like the so it was motivation? Kind
1: of in between because I really loved our friendship. Right. It we. I'm not going to say he wasn't marriage material, but our relationship was not ready for marriage. Got it. And we jumped into a marriage before either of us were ready. Yeah. And um, on the other hand, we thought, man, it would be great not to have to live in the dorms anymore. So it was a marriage out of convenience. Kind of the wrong reasons.
0: Kind of like, well, we think we might get married anyway someday. So why not just do it now? Oh, not even that. Okay.
1: more like, man, we don't have to live in these dorms anymore. We're friends anyway. So let's just get married and crazy. Out of convenience. I know I did the same.
0: Well, not (laughs) I did. I got married at 20 and I'm like, what the hell was I even thinking? Like we both have 21 year old boys and I can't even imagine my son coming to me and saying he's getting married. I don't know how my parents didn't have a heart attack. Okay. So your
1: parents weren't totally on board. None of our parents were on board. Did you have a wedding? It, we went to the Justice of the Peace and invited our coworkers and friends from the dorms. Wow! It was wow. like a quick. Okay. I mean, yeah. Okay.
0: All right. Okay. So okay, so there were some red flags to, in the beginning. Lots. The 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 partying, none of that really subsided as you thought it might. Um, he but he wanted a baby pretty quickly, um, pretty much right away. But you insisted on waiting a year, um, and then you got pregnant on your one year wedding anniversary. How how did the first year go as a new mom?
1: That was hard. Um, I suffered from postpartum depression, but I didn't really know what it was at the time. And I just felt very detached. It took the full first year of having my baby to realize, wow, I'm actually someone's mother. Yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty tough. Um, I just... I don't know if it's because he was a boy or if that's just how it works with postpartum depression. It's obviously later I learned one of the things, that feeling of detachment. I literally felt like I was babysitting someone else's kid, even though I birthed him. And um, that whole birth story is another topic.
0: And I hope we can actually have it just for the listeners. I hope we can have a separate episode on just that because I feel like it is underrepresented. Um, We don't hear about it enough anyway. Sorry to interrupt, Absolutely. but
1: so the first year was rocky. Okay. First year was rocky. Birth was rocky. I almost passed during the birth of Jordan Okay, and my son. And um, when we went from the hospital, it was all about healing, but then I felt disconnected from the baby. And at the time in the Air Force, maternity leave was only six weeks. So I literally had to bond with this child in six weeks. Which is a very short amount of time. Yeah. And um, six weeks after the baby, I had to put my uniform back on, take him to the base daycare, drop him off, and go back to work. Oh
0: my God. So it was
1: rough. I was still, like I said, it took a year for me to realize I'm someone's mother. So six yeah. weeks later, I w- it was still very fresh. I still felt like I was healing. I was trying to breastfeed. Um, that lasted about three months, just right. the stress of working full time and trying to breastfeed at the same time. Right. Um, and I, I didn't feel like my his dad was very supportive because he couldn't understand what I was going through. Mm-hmm. He didn't, neither of us really understood much about postpartum depression or why I was feeling this way. Um, it so. wasn't really talked about a lot 21 years ago. I don't
0: feel like, I don't remember hearing too much about it. Cause I, it's funny cause were you told you had it? Were you like diagnosed? Like, you, yes, you have postpartum or did you not, not learn until later looking back that that's what you had?
1: I, I didn't learn until later looking back, but at the time when I was asking for support, they were kind of guiding me into reading more about postpartum depression, but no one put it on paper. Got it. Okay.
0: Yeah, because I think I may have Although Jordan was a very challenging baby. He had colic, and it was there was a long period of time where neither one of us were sleeping for more than Meaning myself or Jordan, more than 30 minutes at a time, and so I started hallucinating, and it was terrible, and I did have um, horrific visions of what uh, dangerous things could happen if we don't get help. And that was just purely, I think, from possibly lack of sleep. I don't know. It was a short period of time, but um it, worse we I think the shame keeps us from talking about it.
1: Absolutely. Um
0: with, with postpartum because we feel like we should be so in love and so appreciative that we have this child and um again, a whole nother episode. I just I can't I can't get off track. Okay. Stay tuned folks. Okay. So um you ended up receiving orders to deploy to South Korea. Um, your son was just a year old and you were gone for a full year. Um, the first thing I'd, I'd love to talk to you about, mainly for all of us civilians, how exactly this works, uh, when you give birth while on active duty, you are, and I wrote this down for my pre-interview, you are, quote unquote, fair game after four months in terms of deploying. Um, receive orders so in our pre-interview i asked what it would look like for a mom uh who let's just say refused to deploy let's just say you were a mom that said you know what i'm not leaving my baby this is not going to happen Um, can, Can you share the answer to that
1: question with our listeners who maybe aren't aware of those consequences if you were to refuse? Absolutely. So the rules have changed slightly since that time. But yes, after four months when I was active duty, you're fair game after that. You can be tested for physical training measures and you can deploy. And that is twofold because, you know, I feel like you have to you had to just kind of fit into the mold. There's other women working. There's other women doing the thing, like just go and do it. Yeah. Um, when you receive orders in the military, it's to, to put it in civilian terms, think of quitting your job. You're right. walking away from your benefits. You're walking away from the pay. You're saying goodbye. Like I'm not coming here tomorrow. Goodbye. That's it. So there's, this is twofold. If you are pregnant, pregnant, and you get orders to go somewhere, you can be like, you know what? I'm out. I'm done. So during the pregnancy, you can receive orders. You're, you're just a number in the military. You can? You can. You can. You absolutely can. Now that, that date of your deployment might not be until after you deliver and after that four months. Okay. Right? Yeah. But you may already get the orders way back over here while you're pregnant. Oh, during the pregnancy, as in before that baby comes out of your body, you have the option as a pregnant woman to be like, no, I will get out of the military. You can't pass on the orders. You can just be out. Okay. And okay. You can stay active duty until you pop that baby out. You have that baby and then you're out. You okay. leave. You walk away. Yeah. No benefits, no job, no pay. That's it. You're done with the military. Yeah. After you have the baby and you say, I will not take those orders, same like you're out. But it's just during the pregnancy that you can say, I'm I don't want those orders and you you can leave with an honorable discharge. Okay, that was going to be my question. Yeah, so that's the difference. Okay. After you have a baby and they give you orders after your 4-month period or whatever mm-hmm. it is now and you say no, I'm not taking those orders. I'd rather be a mom. Okay, you lose your benefits and it's it's a discharge, it's honorable discharge.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, so you lose your benefits. It's a dishonorable discharge. One of the other things that you said is, you know, good luck trying to find a job. If you have, if you have dishonorable discharge from the military, it does not look good. No, it Um, doesn't
1: look good. And so, It's tricky because it's kind of like, why don't you have custody of your kid question? It's like, why are you not in the military anymore question? Right. What happened? What's wrong? It's not always that something was wrong or something horrible happened. It's a choice maybe that you just had to make under pressure. And this is the situation you're in now. It's not necessarily a bad or a good thing. Right. So again, the rules, you know, since I went through this situation have altered slightly, but at the time that was my option. So it's take these orders and the, the real... Sit down. I had with my son's father at the time was like, okay, we have a 12 month old baby. Who, Mm -hmm. by the way, I just realized I'm a, I'm his mother. I am a mother. (laughs) I am a mother. I'm a mom. I'm someone's mom. It was a very powerful transition and realization for me, and I couldn't believe it It took 12 whole months of, you know, nursing this child and changing this child and making a schedule and feeding this child for that to actually sink in took 12 months. Got the orders and had had a sit down with his dad, and I was like, either I take these orders. Go and come back. Mm -hmm. Did you know how long you'd be gone for at that point? Okay. 12 months. Go and come back and knock it out and they probably won't pick my number again for Mm -hmm. a while if ever. Or have someone who works for me take the orders instead and then – who knows, a year, two, three, or four later. And then we have another child and then I get hit and I can't pass those orders on. And now you're here with two kids by yourself and I'm leaving two kids behind. Ooh, I get it. Yep. I get it. So it was like, what do you do in that situation? Plus I'm a huge believer in karma. Mm. (laughs) So in the back of my mind, I'm like, why would I put that on someone else when my number was chosen and it's my responsibility? Yes, I get it. And I was also there for the educational benefits to do something bigger than myself and to Mm. make an impact in the world. So. I've seen other women deploy and leave kids behind and come back, and everything is okay. Mm-hmm. So, I should be able to pull this off. Right. To take in the orders. Yeah. And it was like, it's easier said than done. Like, I've, I'll say that again, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but to choose, and I know this sounds horrible to those who aren't in the military, but choosing to take the orders and leave your family behind is what I ultimately decided to do. Yeah. And there are programs in place to help support you. Um, you know, you have your chain of command, you have your supervisor, you have the base chaplain, you have mental health department. Um, if you are having a hard time, there's going to be other people you're stationed with that hopefully you can connect with that are probably going through a similar situation. And last but not least, more importantly, your family back home. Yes. You have your family back home. Yeah, You have your family back home when you take those orders. And when you go on that deployment, you're leaving with, okay, this person's going to support me. I don't know how I'm going to support them because I'm going to be gone, but they're going to support me. My family's going to support me. Everything's going to be all right. mm-hmm. we'll leave with that mindset. Mm-hmm. That's not always what happens.
0: How did your, um, your parents, for example, how did they respond to you leaving that first year? They
1: were devastated. Yeah, and I would imagine. My parents were in the military. They, they saw the reason of why I wanted to be there and how important that was to me because ultimately that was going to um, adjust the course for my whole family. If I could stay and get my education, if I could stay and have this career in the military, I'm setting a path for my family. That's why I'm doing it for myself. And Mm -hmm. if I'm better, they're better. Mm -hmm. Um, so they saw the reason why I was there and wanted to do this, but they were devastated at the news of me having to leave my 12 month old baby Mm -hmm. and new husband.
0: behind. Well, I think too, culturally, um, also, they're very, very family oriented. I mean, you're, you and my husband are come from the same family, so and it is uh, like unthinkable to want as a mom to want to leave your. So I, I get where their minds may have been at that that point, but hearing you explain it, it makes so much sense it to makes me. Sense, it makes so it much sense so to so me. So extremely difficult. Of course, it is.
1: I have pictures of the last days before my deployment of me sitting on a swing with my son, and you could just see my face. Oh. You could see him as a 12-month-old baby looking uncomfortable because I'm pouring this energy – I'm going to try not to cry <sighs> – onto him of, I know what's coming. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. it's coming and I don't know what the end of it's going to look like. No. Because I've also seen lots of women and men deploy and not come back to their oh families and it falling apart because of that separation and lack of support. Mm-hmm. Which is ultimately what happened in my situation. Did you have any suspicion that could happen in your situation? I didn't know. I was twenty two, he was twenty two, we have this baby, we have an apartment, I'm about to leave for twelve months. I I I had a hard time tapping into my intuition of what is going to come of this. Yeah. I was just in the mode of like, okay, pack my stuff, make sure they're okay, get over there safely, do the job, and get back. Yeah. What what was your job in, over there? I did medical logistics, medical supply. That's and, what I thought, medical. Yeah, medical yeah. support, pharmaceuticals, and medical equipment. And so while I'm over there, I, my entire military career, I worked in the hospitals. Mm-hmm. And so I was in a hospital when I was um, stationed. Okay. There. Okay. Um, while you were away,
0: um, your husband at the time wasn't exactly great about Staying in touch as far as sending, you know, communication and photos of your son—that that wasn't really happening. Meanwhile, you were not coping well, obviously, and decided to meet with the base chaplain. Uh, what happened next?
1: So, when I wasn't feeling supported from home, I immediately went to my supervisor and I was like, "I need to talk to someone. I'm not. I'm. I'm feeling lost out here. I'm feeling alone. I don't have my baby. I'm not getting the letters and the packages and the videos I thought I would be getting. We also didn't have." technology we did not the same way set 2003 was yes. this yeah yeah 2003 so we didn't um have quick access to video chat um or facetime so and of course there's a 13 hour time difference right. so that was just impossible um my supervisor said go talk to the base chaplain whether you're religious or not that person should be able to help you out i said okay and he asked me are you feeling suicidal or like hurting yourself or anybody else and i was like well no okay go talk to the base chaplain so I go to the base chaplain. They asked me if I was religious. I was like, well, not really. Um, they said, okay, well, are you thinking about hurting yourself or anybody else? I said, well, no. I just don't feel supported and I need someone to talk to. Yeah. I don't know how to handle the situation. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to refer you to the mental health clinic. So I go to the mental health clinic. First question, do you feel like hurting yourself or anyone else? And I said, no, I, I don't. And then they asked if I was depressed, and all these other things. And it was just so overwhelming and scary. And they wanted to give me medication. And I was was just like, no, you know what? Um, I'll figure out another way.
0: Yeah.
1: I went back to my dorm room and I thought, okay, I need to get myself out of that. I need to pull myself out of this situation if I'm going to make it out of here alive, like mentally, emotionally. yeah, Um, Physically, I think I'll get out of here alive, but uh, mentally and emotionally, I need to pull it together. What do I need to do? What would make me feel better? What would help? And I knew that there was a program we had through the base to volunteer time at a local orphanage, mm-hmm. and I knew that would get me around other children, allow me to kind of fill in that motherly role that I was missing so badly yeah. that I just just established. Yeah. I just yeah. established that with my son, and I felt like, okay, I'm a mom now. I need to be a mom now. I'm here not being a mom. I need to be a mom. Yeah. And so I decided to volunteer at a local orphanage, and that really helped with me being able to care for children. Um, It was hard because it wasn't, it's not my child. But big picture wise, I felt like here I am able to care for someone else in a motherly way. It's like you can channel those emotions into something good. And I, I, yeah. Yes. Is that what happened for you? Did you feel? Yeah. I mean, these kids were missing a mother. I was missing a child. So it seemed like a good fit. A good natural fit. Language barrier didn't matter. Like just playing with them and hugging them and laughing together um, helped. Of course, laughter helped. And then also connecting with other adults on base who were in similar situations. Mm. Um, Of course, the military is a male-dominant industry, so it was hard to find other females um, that were deployed. Um, Mm. It's just a handful of us and mostly men. But I found those moms who were actually living in my dorm and had kids back home left with their parents or with their spouses. And so I connected with those women and... um, you know, tried to spend time together and boohoo together. But that was also hard too, because they just wanted to cry it out. And you're trying to get out of that mode of being depressed. And um,
0: you sort of established that your survival instincts kicked in. Like if I'm going to mentally get through this, I need to not, not do this. I need to be
1: positive. I need to be uplifted. I need to be strong. I need to find ways to stay busy that are um, healthy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So After about six months of being gone, uh, you and your husband at the time decided you were going to split up and live separately when you returned home. And upon returning home, you sort of realized that you had left um, home a brand new mom and wife with a different last name. And now you are returning single with a new rank and filing for divorce. Uh, Divorce in your family and in your culture is not overly typical. In fact, it's very rare. Um, so there was an element of you kind of feeling like a black sheep. Um, like I said, if i'm if I'm jumping ahead with this in terms of like what went into you guys deciding to split up, um please please um, fill in those blanks. otherwise, um, I'd love to hear a little bit about the um, the the decision to get divorced
1: within your culture, absolutely. So it was a very hard decision to come to. It was my decision. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I wasn't being supported. Um, I know he was having a hard time back home with a baby, being a single dad or acting as a single dad, working full time. He was also heavily involved in sports on base and that took up all of his time. And Mm -hmm. his literal reason and excuse, quote unquote, for not um, supporting me while I was deployed was he was too busy with softball and the baby. And I wouldn't put single parenthood on anyone. That is really hard business right there. You have to be very strong to be a single parent and it comes with a lot and it's very hard. And he was also young and with this baby. And so I know it was hard for him, but there was a level of respect and support that I expected flowing both ways. Right. And even though we were young, like we had examples around us of other people who were deployed. And I mean, it's common sense to just keep in touch. Yeah. Like that's the number one thing you can do. And communication is number one right. in every relationship, right. regardless of where you're located, yes. which we'll talk more about. Um, but I felt like I was not getting the type of support even a little bit, even a little bit. And I thought, oh my gosh, I feel so blown off. And out I here- he was resentful that you would love to, I mean, even though he understood the circumstances? I'm sure there was a level of resentment. And I feel like- He's been spiteful towards me to this day. Mm. And we were kind of put in that situation right. of you guys got to split off. She's getting deployed. You're staying here with the baby. It's yeah. not fair to me. It's not fair to him. It just came with the job. Yeah. It's not easy for him. It's not easy for me. And I don't think it's harder for one or the other. The the spouse yeah. staying back home with the kids or the person who has to leave that environment. I don't think it's harder for one or the other. I just think it's extremely hard for both. Yeah. Yes. And as selfish as this sounds, I don't feel like I was being supported in a way that projects glory over the next 40 years with this guy. So I felt like, how can I spend the rest of my life with this person who feels like I am not a priority right now? Mm -hmm. I am suffering, Mm -hmm. suffering emotionally. Mm -hmm. Um, So that ultimately led to the poor communication and the lack of support um, emotionally, mentally. What is what led to my decision of, I, I I can't possibly stay with this guy. And like you mentioned, in my family, there was no divorce. Right. So I couldn't talk to my parents about it. I didn't know who to talk to about it. No, I wasn't suicidal or felt like hurting myself or anybody else. So like, what do I do? I literally went to my son's dad and I was like, so yeah, um I've been thinking and I I, I can't continue. We can't continue this marriage and it's not going to continue when I return. And I don't know what that means or what that looks like, but just between him and I, nothing to do with our child or our families, like between you and I as two, uh, two people, I don't feel supported enough that I can spend the rest of my life with you um, because this is horrible. How I'm did he react you. to that? He was really surprised at first, almost as if he didn't think he was b- being unsupportive. <sighs> He was also, like I said, going through a really hard time being there alone with our son. Mm -hmm. Uh, My parents did live an hour and a half away, and they did come in and help out Mm -hmm. with the baby Mm -hmm. from time to time. So, Did um, your parents try to
0: get you to to, to change your mind about that to stay, or did they support you?
1: um, They were sort of neutral because they felt like, well, no, there's no divorce in my family, so they thought it was absurd that I would want a divorce him. But they understood why you're upset. They understood why yeah. I was upset. Yeah. Understood why I but was not upset. grounds for getting divorced probably according to them at the right. time at that least. seemed too extreme for them mm-hmm. and that we just don't do that in our family. And I can't just do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> and so that almost made me want to do it more because I felt like I need to stand up for myself here. Mm-hmm. Just because my family doesn't think it's a good idea doesn't mean I'm not hurting and feeling unsupported and knowing that Seeing how it was when we were dating, how it was when we first moved in together, um, and how it wasn't a priority most of that time, and still not—I just didn't see our, mm-hmm. our relationship evolving. Mm-hmm. In that way, yeah, uh,
0: understandable. Um, just curious, side, side question: Were
1: your parents young when they got married? Well, my my dad was 28. My mom was 24 okay. and he already had my sister with him. He was a single dad when he met my mom. Okay. and um, like, So not overly young. Not young. overly yeah. young. It wasn't a situation like It was also that. a different time, I think too. It was a way really different time and yeah. they were both foreign, both immigrants to this country and they were together like 42 years.
0: Yeah. Wow. Um. Okay. Your custody schedule for the first few years up until your son started school was three weeks on, three weeks off. So alternating every three weeks. Um, and then around the time he was going to be starting school, you received orders to move to a different base out of state. Can you talk us through what happened next?
1: Yes. So like you mentioned, he was just a baby. Um, when I got back from my deployment, he was two. And coming back from that deployment was extremely difficult. Um, I left, like you said, married, different name, different rank, Mm -hmm. came back, our divorce had finalized. So I'm a single parent, single mom. Um, My child's father lives there in the same town and my son is two, two years old. So I missed from age one to age two. And my focus was just trying to reestablish the bond with my son and create more of a bond with my son since I was gone um i have a picture of me coming to the airport from korea and um holding him mm. and he was looking away like oh, <laughs> he wasn't used to me he didn't know me yeah and you can just see my face just completely distraught thinking of how long it had been since i held yeah. him um so it was really hard to make that adjustment upon my return especially since his dad and I were at odds and it's, you know, that whole, like, are you still friends with your ex? Do you have a friendship yeah. now? It, and it was just awkward, of yeah. course. Um, but we decided that since he was only two and he wasn't in school yet, that he would just stay with me for three weeks and then his dad for three weeks. We just thought that was a good idea Yeah. Um, at the time. And so that worked for a little while. And then I got orders to another base, which is just a natural occurrence in the military. I was enlisted. His dad was enlisted. We move around every three and four years. Yeah. So I get orders to this other base and realize uh, that on paper, his dad is the primary custodian. So he decides where he goes to school and where he lives. And upon receiving these orders and talking to his dad, my son's dad about it, uh, his is like, well, he's staying with me. He's a boy. He should be with his father. And he's just going to stay here with me. And so our paperwork reflected as, as all divorce paperwork does when you have a child involved, a visitation schedule. Yeah. And so I was going to have my son all summer, spring break, holidays, every other Christmas, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, not full-time living with me. So that was a really hard pill to swallow to say the least.
0: Yeah. Did you, when you received the orders, was there, um, did you assume that there was a, a chance you'd be able to take them with you? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There was like an assumption that,
1: yeah. Sure, I'm the mom. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I saw in black and white on paper that that's not exactly what's going to happen, I immediately tried to seek uh, legal advice mm-hmm. through the military base. And they said, well, this is a civil matter. Mm-hmm. So you need to get a lawyer and go to court. Okay. And now I'm in this situation where I have to create like an enemy out of my son's father because I've got to take him to court to try and change this situation so that my son would live with me full time. Not that I didn't think, I, I, I don't know. I, I I didn't think he should, just thought that's how it's supposed to go. Yeah. i, I never yeah. went through a divorce situation. I didn't grow up with divorced parents. I didn't have to share time with parents. I just assumed like everybody else, oh, you're divorced. Okay. The kids go with the mom.
0: Yeah. 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 So
1: here I am, um, trying to go through the legal system, and the, they don't just change custody. There has to be like a problem, right? And specifically, alcohol abuse or neglect. Yeah. So none of that was happening. Oh Jordan is fine, gosh. my son, uh, with his dad. So they don't just change custody. So I deploy. I I move to this other base, and for the next eighteen years. 16 years, so he's two at the time. For the next 16 years, I have for summers, holidays, every other Christmas, whatever the paperwork said. Um,
0: not so, at all what you thought your life was to And I
1: continued to move around. His dad also moved around. We both continued to be active duty. So I actually tried to change that in each state. I yeah. think I tried in four, four different times, states. yeah. You told me four different Yeah. So I changed that. But again, he wasn't doing anything illegal. He hadn't gotten a DUI. Jordan's not covered in bruises. My son yeah. was showing up to school, looked fed. Um, they don't yeah. just change custody. The system, number one, is broken. That's yeah. not why, but it's the yeah. reason I said none of the other stuff was happening. He was safe. He was fine with his dad. Right. Um, it's just this is the way the paperwork's written, and this is the way it stays, and they don't just change it. Um, now, there's a lot of children in our country who are dealing with much, much worse conditions and situations. And that's where the focus is yeah. for the court system. Yeah. So I had to learn like my situation is not horrible. There's two healthy parents. He just lives with one. So that's kind of hard yeah. to wrap your brain around like emotionally. It's
0: just, it almost feels like you're getting, you're punished. I don't want to, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but it almost feels like you're getting punished for serving your country. Cause if you hadn't, this wouldn't have happened. No. This wouldn't have Which happened. It's that it just sucks. I, I I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I get, I get it. I get there's much worse and everything else, but it was you went believing that you were going to be doing a good thing for a great cause. This is what you signed up for, and you thought you'd have the support. It just it all ended up turning on you. Yeah, used against you. Yeah, and
1: ultimately, divorce sucks, and sharing custody with people sucks. Yes, um, and yes, does. yeah, you. are are aware of that as well. But I mean,
0: I, I, yes I am, but to the extent of, I mean, he was just one neighborhood over. I mean, at one point, Ladorn lived in my same neighborhood for for a few years. So I cannot even begin to imagine. I just can't. It makes me want to weep like from the depths of my soul. I just cannot. um, God, I need to stop talking about this. Um, As
1: much as you can imagine what that would be like, I... I can barely, I'm barely able to explain the depth of pain that is to move out of state from your child. There used to be this show on TV around that time this happened called Wife Swap. Do you Mm. remember that? Yes, I do. And I remember watching it and the lady was crying because it's only like a week that they do the swap, right? She was bawling her eyes out because she had to leave her children for three or four days and three or four days into it, she was falling Apart, oh God. she didn't care how different this other family was. She was falling apart because she was three days, four days away from her kid, wow. and I was so—I remember being so pissed watching this yeah. and crying. Like, really? Yeah.
0: Three days? Yeah.
1: Try a year. Yeah. Try six months. Yeah, <laughs> and I came with a job, yeah. but um, I, I was blown away. And then I think anybody in your shoes, though—I
0: mean, honestly, anybody in your shoes would assume. What would transpire would be exactly what you thought would transpire. I don't think anybody would assume this would be used against them or take or, the, or be taken away from them. Um, so you left for South Carolina without your son, uh, but you had really made up your mind that uh, about what kind of mother you're going to be. To quote you, you said, the zip code has no bearing on the relationship. In every house you lived in, he was always given his own bedroom. You called your son every day. You sent gifts regularly. You insisted on being included in everything in his life and all of the decisions You asked how you could help, how you could best support him. In addition to all of this, you took every opportunity to see him as much as possible over and above what was arranged in the custody agreement. What did this look like for you?
1: Number one, since I was the non-custodial parent, I paid child support. So all of those years, all of the travel, all of the support I'm um, paying child support on top of flying him back and forth, driving back and forth, whatever it took. And you never went longer than two months. That's correct. I never went longer right. than two months without seeing my child, literally until COVID a few years ago. Right. Um, yeah. Whenever you're listening to this, that happened in 2020. Yeah. And he was in college at the time and his dorm shut down and they couldn't let anybody on or off campus just to keep them healthy. Right. That was the first time I went more than two months without seeing my son. Right. So it didn't matter where we were located. I would either drive to him or fly to him, or fly him out. He's been flying solo since he was about what was it, five or seven years old. He started flying solo mm-hmm. um, on a minor. And yeah. that comes with additional fees, by the right. way, each way. Right. And right. you can only choose a direct flight mm-hmm. for a child to fly by themselves. Mm-hmm. So um, aside from mega expenses, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that didn't matter to me, because like you said, I decided what type of mother I wanted to be the minute we started living apart. I thought, well, just because we're in different zip codes doesn't mean I can't show up for him. I will find a way to show up for him. And it was physically by visiting with him or flying him out to see me or driving out to see him. It was taking leave and actually showing up at a game of his, um, a football game of his, or whatever he was playing that year. And calling all the time to the point where his dad told me, hey, you don't have to call every day that literally went in one year and out the other. I was like, yeah. okay, bye. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my God. Oh, I'm sure when he got his own phone at some point that made, that makes it. Oh I, gosh, remember when, difference. Yeah, I remember when my son got his phone, I was like, Oh, this is so much easier than having to go through the parent or the step parent or whoever it is. Absolutely um something that really struck me during the pre-interview was when you you talked about the griping and complaining you'd see from the other moms on social media about things like making dinner um the pickup line at school the kids being sick kids having homework um which guilty i mean i think yeah i mean i know exactly what you're talking about um what went through your mind when you were like say on facebook and you'd see these comments
1: Right. So Facebook and social media really took off during this time um, yeah. that my son was growing up over the last 10, 12, 13 years. What, what, the oldest thing I see now is 13 years ago on Facebook. I was like, yeah. wow. wow. So at that time, um, seeing seeing those type of comments, it's hard to see when you're in the situation. Whereas now I can look back and say, well, if I hadn't full-time, I I might've been complaining yeah. about the same thing. Yeah. But at the time, not having primary custodianship of my son and him not living under my roof, seeing women like me, my age, Mm -hmm. complain about having to do homework with their kid or um, being in the pickup line forever would literally make me cry. I would read those comments and cry and log off Facebook and not get on for three days because all I could think of was like, you have your kid. You get to go pick up your kid. You get to do homework with your kid every night. I would sit in my apartment heat up dinner and watch TV while someone else is tucking in my son. Mm. Someone else knows if he's coughing or has a fever. I don't know any of that. And I don't find out stuff like that. And I don't... I don't get to do the day-to-day that a mother is designed for. Once you become a mother, that's a mother instinct, right? You take over those things. Maybe nobody even taught you those things, but there's a mother instinct that happens to you when you become a mother and you automatically want to do those things for this little person. So to not be able to have access to do those things for him was very difficult. Very difficult.
0: Yeah. We take it for granted. We take Oh, absolutely. um, Yeah. We, it, it, you don't, we don't even know, um, yeah, it, it, and I think this will make a lot of people think a little differently because we they are, I mean, it's funny because it's like, I almost think about like, you know, our, my son now, is, he's 21, as is yours, and it's like, you look back, I, you know, I look back on like all the things that maybe I used to complain about when he was young, and I'm like, God, I would give anything to do it over again,
1: because <laughs> in the moment, you're, you just, you take it for granted, so. Absolutely things we, you know, we complain about. Um, Some of the things we complain about in public, someone else is dying to be dying. in your shoes and yes. wishes they had what you had. So it's yes. really important to just be grateful for everything that you have and know that everything's time bound and whatever you're going through is has a deadline, has yeah. an expiration date and everything will be okay.
0: Yeah. yeah it's so true. It's so true. Um, okay. I'm not going to go off on a tangent, but this is bringing up so many thoughts. Okay. <laughs> Something else you mentioned in the pre-interview was about the fact that there, and this this also struck me, um, there is no way to quickly explain why you don't have primary custody of your child. You would get, you repeatedly get asked, wait, wait, why don't you have your son again? Um, there's oftentimes an immediate assumption, obviously, regarding the reasoning when in fact it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, what were some of the re- reactions you'd hear other people?
1: Well, A common situation is two people divorce and the kids go with the mom or kid goes with the mom and you see single dad by himself. Nobody asks dad, like, why don't you have custody of your kids? Mm -hmm. When it's a mom, it's a little bit different. That's a little bit more rare of a situation, right? So I was already a minority. Right. 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 I'm already – And there must be some terrible reason why. There must be. So people just assume, oh, her kid doesn't live with her. There must be something wrong with her. She must have done something wrong. Something must have went horribly wrong. And explaining that I got orders. We had to decide what to do. I decided to take the deployment. I was gone for 12 months. I wasn't feeling supported. We got a divorce. I came back like explaining that in a nutshell to someone, right. especially who doesn't have a military background, doesn't understand why I had to take those orders in the first place, is really hard to do, especially when you're in line at the checkout and you're run into an old friend and they're like, where's your son? I just saw you with him last oh, week. God. Like, How do you blurt all of that out in a little happy oh, yeah. nutshell? It's not. No. It turns into this sob story. It turns into this like, oh no, that happened to you. Why? And there's so many questions as to how that happened or why that happened. So um, it was very difficult and people look at you differently and react differently and um, think that, well, you must not be able to raise your child. You're not capable of raising a child because otherwise he would be with you. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you don't know the whole story. Yeah. And no. there's a story. There's always a story, right? Yes. I mean, so in my case, it was as simple as we're two military members. One got deployed, and we got divorced in the meantime. So in short, by default, his dad became the primary custodian because my address was outside of the U.S. Right. Had we both been there getting a divorce in the same town, I don't know how it would have gone. I, I don't no. know. You would have had a say. I would have had a say. I would have yeah. been there, and we're both there. And yeah, don't know. Not gonna yeah. lose really sleep over it. And it helped that people who are wondering why my son doesn't live with me, aren't losing sleep over it because there's always a story and it's not always what you think and no. it's not always what you read. And it's, it's great to ask questions yeah. and, and to have a little bit of open-heartedness when you're asking people questions about why they're in the situation they're in because you mm-hmm. may be surprised to find out it's not what you think. No,
0: exactly. Coming at something from a place of curiosity and not judgment is, I think, the way um, to – yeah, I mean – People are so quick to judge, you know, that we, that we must know based on the, how something looks, we decide, we know how it happened, why it happened, what we would have done differently. You know, it's just, you know, and so, and that's, you know, again, I've said this numerous times, it's the whole basis for the podcast. I got so tired, so tired of seeing, not even really happening to me, but I got so tired of seeing it happen to so many people. Just the judgment. I just, it's, it is. People jumping to conclusions, assuming they know the whole story about something and deciding they would have done it differently, or deciding that whatever you're doing is is wrong. And and I can't say that I agree with every single guest I've ever had on, what whatever choice they've made or not made or whatever, but every there is always a bigger
1: story to to the situation.
0: And that gets missed, um,
1: so yeah, it's very hurtful. It's very, very hurtful because people had no idea what I went through during that process, or what I've had to go through for sixteen, seventeen years. I mean, the first year I was there, after that I was gone, the first from age one to age two, I was in another country, and after that, we were divorced. Yeah. So it was really only one year that we were together, living together. Right, and. Nobody has any idea what I went through, the shoes I had to walk in, the tears, the money spent, and nobody sees even out of that situation how much I actually did show up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and would the they say too. would they feel differently if they knew how much I actually did show up all of that time and in what ways I showed up. Yeah. Continue to. So it's really hard conversation you, to have.
0: How did you um like for lack of a better word, like how did you cope through that period? I mean, do you feel like it's almost like a grieving period where over the time helps to heal it, or did it get worse over
1: time, or did you always hold out hope that things would change? Like, what got you through? So one never got over it. Yeah. My time away from my son when he was a baby, I have never gotten over that. Yeah. And over the years, I didn't know who to be mad at, the government, my job, myself, my ex. Like, yeah. I never got over that time and I'll never get that time back with my baby. Um, over the years, I was hopeful because, as I mentioned before, I tried to change the custody in in different states or the custodianship, I should say, mm-hmm. not the custody. I always wanted us to have joint custody. Um, I was never against that but I wanted him to live with me full time. And I was hopeful that there would be time or a situation that would allow for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And there never was, there just Mm -hmm. never was. And so I don't know how, I wish I had a short answer or a solution to give other parents out there who deal with their kid living in another home full time. Um, But there's not, it's it's a day-to-day you mm-hmm. just have to get through it one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And some days are better than others. And some days are horrible. Mm-hmm. There would be times where I would go into his room, lie on his bed, and just cry for hours, wishing I knew what he was doing in that moment or that I could be the one helping him with his homework. You know. And then there would be uh, times where I found healthy ways to distract myself with work, with chasing my hobbies or passions, with saying, okay, he's not here. I'm a mom. It sucks that my kid is not here every day, but I'm also a young woman who is very passionate and has things that I want to do to continue to make an impact in the world and just leaning into those things. Um, and knowing that at the end of the day, that was going to be a great example for my son who may or may not see it right now, but will know these things about me. So I always strived to, um, do good to make myself better, to increase my education, to increase ways that I can make an impact in the world, and find different ways to do that. And
0: so you really I mean, you chose, you looked at. I, I think I think because there's always a, well, I assume there's always a choice. Like when when we're in, when we're in these situations where you're literally at the lowest you could possibly conceive of. You know, you can, you can choose the path of self-destruction where you drown your sorrows and wh- whichever manner you choose, um, or you go, okay, well, let me make the best of the situation. Let me take, take the situation and, um, leverage it and at least give him something to be proud of and look Absolutely. back on. And, and that, it sounds like that's what, that's what you chose. You very, you very, um, intentionally chose Absolutely. to do this and you, and you have done so much and we're going to get into that. Um, and the whole, the zip code not being a factor, that, I mean, too, like, that's a big I mean When you live as far away as you guys lived and never going longer than two months, that says something huge. And I don't, like, has he said now, when he's 21, he looks back, does he, what does he say about the time, his growing up time and your involvement in his life?
1: Not a whole lot, but I know that's because he's twenty one and there's a yeah. lot of big shiny objects out there distracting him. So he hasn't had those moments. But I from a very early age, um, I knew that we would have these conversations in his adult life. Yeah. And just to sum up what you were just saying, where I where there's the dark path you can go down or not, in short, I decided, okay, he doesn't live with me full time. Well, I'm gonna do my best to be this shiny positive influence in his life because it doesn't matter if they're under the same roof or not. They're going to know these things about you and they're going to see these things about you. And I want it to be a great role model for him. And you can be a great role model for children, even if they don't live under your roof. Yeah. And they will look back and see, well, what was she doing all that time when I wasn't? And they're going to ask questions. And I wanted to be able to say with confidence and I wanted him to be able to know about me that I was doing my best. Sending him letters, sending him care packages, but also making a good life for myself and creating positivity in my life because it doesn't matter. And uh, zip code has no bearing on our relationship. It's totally going to be a title level book I write one day. (laughs) It should, (laughs) yeah. um, Or a chapter. But but, um, it is really true. It doesn't matter where you're located. You can have a positive influence on somebody's life, especially a child's life. And so I had to make a decision to go down the rabbit hole and be in a dark place or be this shiny, bright, positive influence in his life, even if it was only one time that week I was able mm-hmm. allowed mm-hmm. to talk to him because mm-hmm. they didn't always answer the phone when I called. They didn't always respond to my text messages. They, they weren't always available for me to be able to access him. He was not always made available for me to access him. I couldn't just anytime go see him or anytime call him, although it may seem that way on paper. I didn't always get that time that's on the paper that I'm allowed to call him. I didn't always get the weekend. As a matter of fact, there were spring breaks where I was told, you know what? We're going on a trip. You're just not getting him this spring break. Do you know the hours I was counting to spring break? (laughs) Sorry. I mean, as the parent without the custody or without the custodianship, I'm literally counting the days, the weeks, and I would tell my son, three more weeks till I see you, two more weeks till I see you, four more days till I see you. Yeah, we're going on a trip. You won't be having him this spring break. So I've had to go through, you know what? It's not that how can they do that? It's why would they do that? No, I know. You know, because they can't. It's on paper. It's black and white. It's considered contempt of court. Right. Right. So what would it take to get that fixed? That would be me hiring a lawyer, them hiring a lawyer, us getting a court date, who knows when that's going to be, going to court for me to be like, I didn't get my spring break. And the judge going, why didn't you give her a spring break? Well, judge, because blah, 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 blah. Okay. Slap him on the wrist and say, don't do that again. You guys have to follow this paperwork. By the way, we've got 1,500 cases over here of kids getting abused. Oh, no, and I I'm complaining because I, I didn't it.
0: get spring break. Yeah, I know. I get so it. So even
1: if it was a big deal to me in the big system, it's not a big deal. Yeah. So that's how parents get away with not giving their kids to the other parent when they're supposed to or not picking up the phone or not answering the text messages. That's how they get away with it. That's so, so – It's not easy to fix. So
0: I I don't even have the words. Um, So what was – Jordan was sort of told uh, an explanation for why – What was the explanation he was given for why he didn't see you – why the situation was what it was.
1: We were driving in the car one day. I was taking him to see my parents in Florida. I was stationed in South Carolina. His dad was stationed in Virginia. I had him for the summer. We're driving along uh, 95 South on the way to Florida and little eight-year-old Jordan in the backseat of my car says, I know what happened, mom. I turn off the radio. I look in the rear view mirror. What do you mean, sweetie? I know what happened with you and dad. And I'm like, oh, and in my head, I'm like, this should be good. And I just try to keep the stone face, you know, don't get emotional. Don't break down in front of your kids. I'm just driving. And I'm like, okay, what, what, what happened? What do you think happened between dad and I? And he said three words that still just um, are very strong inside my heart. He says, that's all for part one of this
0: episode. The story continues in part two and is available now.